Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 40,000 people have listened to Mark G. Richardson's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you reflect and take your business to the next level. What I try to do is bring on experts, experts that have really accomplished a lot of success in this business, as well as share many of the insights that certainly I've experienced. I've had in my 40-year career an opportunity to not only grow a substantial remodeling business, but for the last seven, eight years, I've been able to get out and touch many of the most successful remodeling organizations, big and small, in this industry. This podcast series is supported by the National Association of Remodeling Industry, NARI, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine. It's also supported by other leading technology groups and indicators, including Marlamar, which actually is an expert in texting technologies. encourage you to reach out and touch them and listen to our broadcast coming up in the future. Also, my producer of this show is Surefire Local. Surefire is a leading digital marketing group that uh, is really helping, I think, businesses take the mystery out of digital marketing. So in this opening segment, I want to touch on a subject that I think is really kind of critical, and that is how do you really look at things when it comes to your business? You know, one of the challenges I find as an advisor and a coach, many people try to seek out answers in terms of some of my experiences. And while I'm always happy to share those, more importantly, what I'm finding, I'm spending more and more time helping people to understand how to look at something rather than just what the answer is. About a month ago, I was actually at a conference, a conference with some of the leading manufacturers, over 50 manufacturers that do over a billion dollars in the home improvement industry. In this conference, the the chief economist from the Deutsche Bank shared a lot of the stars and planets and what are the key indicators to watch in the future. In his conclusion, he said there is about a 25% chance or they're predicting about a 25% chance of a recession later than this year or early into 2020. Now, I must admit at the time, I was kind of taken back by those insights and comments, not so much in terms of the indicators, but that prediction that is out there. But more importantly, it forced me to say, okay, what does 25% mean? You know, how we look at this and how we process it, I think is really critical. You know, if someone tells you there's a 25% chance of rain, does that mean that you're going to cancel your plans or change your trip? Probably not. You'll probably get an umbrella that particular day, and you'll monitor the weather as you get closer and closer and not just go by gut instinct. If someone tells you there's a 25% chance based on statistics when you drive your car, you'll get into an accident over the coming 12 months, do you stop driving? Well, unfortunately, I don't think you have a choice, so the answer is probably no. However, you might dramatically change and influence how you approach it. 
you might not only drive much, much more defensively because it's such a pain in the neck if you get in an accident, but also you might think about the tools that you use, the driving techniques, the car that you drive that is much more safety oriented, especially when it comes to having teenage drivers in the family. When you hear the statistic, there's a 25% chance that if you smoke cigarettes, you'll get cancer. Well, I would hope at least that most people will want to stay away from smoking cigarettes or certainly that secondhand smoke. So I'm not here to judge you how you think about and how you sport, but I'm really here to try to get, make some sense out of this comment that there's a 25% chance of a recession out there and what its influence might be on the remodeling or the home improvement industry. So I've actually outlined a few tips, a few tips that I think that might help you to process this. But most importantly, I think it's, it's critical that you think about it, I think, the, in the right way. So the first tip would be, and I would suggest this anytime, but it's especially important when it's stormy out there to have a really good solid plan for the year. A solid plan is taking a look at a lot of the key performance indicators. A solid plan is taking a look at profits or processes and systems. Solid plan is taking some inventory of the team and what you're going to need to do to accomplish kind of getting to the playoffs. Now, you might want to be a little bit more conservative than you would have been three months ago, but you also want to make sure this plan is put into writing. By putting it into writing, it's something that you can dust off and look at. You can share it certainly with your key team members as well. The second is that I would say drill deeper into your overall budget this year. Drill deeper into each line item, not only squeaking it down and having it be more accurate than anything else, but you want to make sure that your numbers are right. I would encourage you to be aggressive but realistic, not only in terms of your targets, but also be aggressive but realistic in terms of, of what those actual costs can be. And if you need to do some buying out to see some improved numbers, to buy yourself a little bit of an insurance policy this year, that would be a smart thing to do. Also, you've got to set the stage for monitoring. One of the key reasons that many people fall short on plans and certainly New Year's resolutions is they don't really focus and monitor in the right fashion. What you want to do is you want to know what those key indicators that you are in your business to monitor. Some of those might be sales. They might be leads. They might be average ticket. They might be gross profit and certainly with overhead. Now, those are all internal marketing or internal indicators, but there's also external ones in terms of home appreciation, the stock market, interest rates, and certainly consumer confidence. Now, historically, you may have watched these key indicators on either a monthly or quarterly basis, and I would encourage you to turn up the frequency of how you're looking at these things. The fourth element in terms of tip is start to plan a little bit more quarterly, not just annually. Now, many businesses out there, they create an annual plan, they commit to the annual plan, and they say, gosh darn it, I'm going to hit these numbers no matter what. Well, the reality is there might be some, some headwinds and influences out there that really cause you not because of you, but because of the environment to not be successful. So by taking these key indicators and being committed and having the conviction to actually bring your team together on a quarterly basis, 
How are we doing rather than just wait for an annual basis in the next game? This is sort of like a football game. In a football game, you know, you go into the game with a game plan. You might make some minor tweaks at the first at the end of the first quarter, and then you go into halftime. And halftime, I think, for the coach is really intended to adjust the plan as much as it is to rest. And as a result of that, you come out into the third quarter having, I think, the right kind of plan, and then you get to the fourth quarter and you know what you need to do. I think a business is very similar to that. Number five is go ahead right now. Right now, what I'm encouraging my clients, folks I'm advising, have a plan B, have a plan C. Don't wait till you need a plan B. Have it in place right now. So if you watch the key indicators, if in fact they fall a little bit short, you can move to a plan B. What are those things that I've already figured out in terms of that I would have to adjust and make some decisions and chess moves and moves right now if I have to adjust? On the other hand, you might want to have a much deeper plan, a plan C. And that is, in fact, stuff that you've really reflected on, you've discussed. So if you have to flip the switch, you can do it quickly so that you don't end up really messing up the whole year. Number six tip is communicate. Now, this is tricky, I think, for a leader in a business, but it's important that a leader has conviction and confidence. It's important the leader's not an alarmist and woe is me, the sky is falling. But at the same token, I think it, it is really important to keep people in the loop of not only what you're thinking and feeling, but also what you're seeing out there. What you're seeing out there is important so that you can really approach this more as a team sport. So they're not blindsided just as much as you. So communication is a really important thing and thinking about a communication process and how you're going to keep people in the loop without necessarily scaring them, I think is really important. And then the last element is I think it's super important to keep the end in mind. Keep where you're heading, the destination of where you're heading in mind. You know, if you're targeting, let's say, 5 or 10% net profit, keep that as a given. If you're focused on being well positioned for 2020 and 21, make sure that you're keeping that as top of mind and keeping that as a priority. If taking the team to the next level and training and investing in the team and bringing on higher level people is really a top priority, keep that in mind. You don't have to abandon some of those priorities and some of those goals just because you have to change how you get there. You know, at the end of the day, this is very much of a journey. It's very much of a movie, not just a snapshot. And I think it's important that you adjust things the right way. So there's many different adages out there, one of which is, you know, when it's tough out there, the tough get going. But I think what's key is more how you look at it, how you think about kind of the dynamic of what we're up against in these little bit of wobbly times, and I think you're going to be more successful. So we have some great things coming up, and again, I want to thank all of those supporters and all of those sponsors of this particular podcast. And I really encourage you to try to subscribe to this so that it automatically comes to you and you have these insights, a little mini university that you can listen to as you're bouncing around. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. 
Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Modeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly, reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help you with your business. Welcome back. I'm Mark Richardson. And this portion of Remodeling Mastery is really focused on, you know, having a conversation, a conversation with uh, an individual that has been very successful in the home improvement and the remodeling business, uh, an individual that has been successful not only in terms of, you know, kind of cracking the code, but also being able to see, you know, how they've moved the business from 10 to 20 to 30. And in this case, we'll be talking to an individual, Josh Kelly, who he and his family have grown the business to just about $100 million in the home improvement space. So more specifically, Josh Kelly is one of the owners of Parker and Sons. And Parker and Sons is located in the southwest of the United States. And they specialize in HVAC, plumbing, and electric. And I think for many of you listening to this broadcast, you're thinking, okay, well, we understand HVAC, electric, and plumbing, but we don't necessarily think about a business that has grown to this kind of level of scale. So welcome, Josh, to uh, Remodeling Mastery. Well, thanks for having me. And I do think it's important to note, uh, you know, it's a family-owned business, right? So my whole family is involved in it. And it's not just the Southwest. We're literally just here in Phoenix. So you know, $100 million home service residential company um, just in Phoenix. Excellent. Excellent. So needless to say, it's, I, I, I use Southwest kind of broadly. Certainly, I know that's where the headquarters were. But I was thinking to myself as we were talking that it must be more than just the Phoenix area. So we'll get into that maybe in our discussion about why just Phoenix and not, you know, once you've grown the business to that kind of scale, why not other areas? So why don't, Josh, give, give us a little bit of the history of Parker and Sons. Yeah, so Parker and Sons has been around since the 70s, but my family actually bought the business about 14 years ago. Um, at the time, we were a fairly large HVAC business. We did about $6.5 million, uh, which I think is a big business. Um, and then just over the years, we've steadily grown. In the last 14 years, we took it from $6.5 million to, as you said, we were just a smidge over $100 million, um, in 2018. Um, and we've done a lot of cool stuff and grown that since then. Um, I was in charge of marketing and some of the operations. Um, I now, uh, I kept kind of started moving on to a, a new business. I'm sure we'll chat about it later, but, um, grew up in the industry. I've done sheet metal. I've been a plumbing helper. I did installs over summer. Um, I'm 
certainly not the guy you want out to your house to fix your plumbing, but uh, I, I grew up in the industry and I've, I've had quite a success story and had a lot of fun doing it. Well, let's talk about the business model itself. The roots, it sounds mm-hmm. like, were more HVAC and expanded into electric and plumbing, or was it all of these products and services really from the, from the get-go? So, so, I mean, someone who really knows the HVAC industry, uh, I'll go into a little bit of background. Um, uh, we actually, my father was actually a VP of a company called Blue Dot, which is a consolidation company, bought HVAC plumbing businesses across the United States. And uh, they actually got in some, some legal issues because of some tax stuff. I had to sell stuff piece by piece. We bought the Phoenix market. So we did actually buy HVAC. We we're mainly HVAC, but we did do plumbing as well, but it was a much smaller division. Did not do electrical at the time. Uh, we launched electrical, I wanna say three years ago, two years ago. It's a fairly new division for us. Uh, um, it was mainly HVAC. We're still mainly HVAC. We're probably about 60% HVAC. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was not the animal that we, we are now, but you know, we never really intended to be an animal either. So it was just kind of luck sometimes. So with this HVAC model, because I think a lot of the yeah. listeners, Josh, you know, come from either the window or roofing specialty, or they come from a full service type of model, you know, mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about the HVAC model as a scalable model. Because, you know, I think, as I said, most of our listeners, they think about it, you know, it's okay, send out the, you know, send out the crew to install a system or maybe do some service work for homeowners. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about the HVAC model as a business. Yeah, as the industry as a whole, you're saying, or like our specific or what we... you specifically. Yeah. So we're a residential service business. So, uh, I mean, any business is scalable with the right systems and the right people, right? Um, HVAC is a little bit harder than a lot of other businesses because it is a grudge purchase. So what I mean by a grudge purchase is I've never met anyone in their life that woke up and, you know, woke up, jumped out of bed and said, you know, it'd be great as new pipes. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't exist. Uh, people only deal with us when something has happened. And they don't necessarily like dealing with us. Um, we're not someone they enjoy. Like if you're a remodeler, that's something they look forward to. No one looks forward to a water heater or an AC unit or a new thermostat, right? Um, so because of that, it has issues. However, it's a great business to be in because it's fairly recession proof, right? And here in Phoenix, if your AC goes out in the summertime, you know, you figure it out. So it becomes a process of just being able to lock down customers, gather new customers. And, and the key is making the most out of every single customer that you get. You have to build a fence around them. There's so much competition in HVAC, especially here in Phoenix um, and plumbing too, and really most home services, right? Because that's, it's a great business to be in. Um, so you have to be really smart about getting the most value off you can after every customer, make sure they're not going anywhere else, make sure they're extremely satisfied, building systems so you can have consistent service. Um, that's kind of a broad question of the truth. So, I mean, th- does that answer that? Does that help? Absolutely. Well, let, let's drill into it a little bit more. You use the term a couple of times, make the most out of every client or customer. What, what are some of the strategies or techniques that you've found uh, to make the most out of every co- client? Yeah. So, I mean, we do the same thing a lot of people do, um, and we do some things differently, right? 
Um, so number one, with uh, like an HVAC company, it's really important to sell service agreements. So it locks down customers so they don't even have the opportunity to go somewhere else. Um, so that's a big part. We go out twice a year to all of our customers, as many as we can. We have, I want to say 35,000 maintenance agreements right now, where we're going to uh, 35,000 houses twice a year, um, making sure we're the only people they see. It also uh, also includes cross-selling. Cross-selling is extremely important. So you want if you have a customer on the AC side, you better be doing business for them on the plumbing as well. So that's a great way to lock down a customer as well. And then we're really big fans of building long-term nurture campaigns. So a long-term nurture campaign is a very basic level is me staying in front of that customer without trying to sell them. So you might, if you worked with Parker and Sons, you might be getting emails throughout the year, checking in and they're not newsletters where it's generic and Hey, what's exciting in plumbing? Cause no one cares about plumbing, right? It's in the middle of summertime. If I know you have kids, why don't we send you a discount on Diamondback tickets or to uh, a water park here in Phoenix, or if there's a festival that's coming up that we can hook people up with and get a discount, call that festival and get people, people in the door uh, a little bit cheaper and add value and get them to think about us or open our emails or talk about us. It's all beautiful. Um, so those are some basic, simple things we do. And then we do a really, really good job on the phone, conversions, closing, making sure that if a customer does call us, that we're the one doing the business with them. So Josh, let's talk about the family dynamic in business. As I kind of yeah. travel around and kind of study different small businesses, one, you know, not necessarily a common denominator with all, but certainly it exists in a very large percentage of the businesses is that you've got family involvement. And, you know, as Vince Nardo talked about, you know, on an earlier part podcast, you know, how you think about kind of the family and separating kind of church and state or the business and the family is really important. What, what have you found or what has the family found in terms of, you know, how to create kind of that successful dynamic? Yeah, I'm, uh, when we say a family business, we, we take it to the extreme. My father works in the business, my mother, my sister, obviously me. We have, um, you know, literal multiple team members that have married and, uh, you know, their mother, daughter, son situations. Uh, uh, family is a blessing and it could be really confusing and difficult depending on who your family is. <laughs> um, my family right. gets along really well. Um, so that's a big piece of that. We all kind of stay in our lanes a little bit, which is important. There's a clear hierarchy that exists here. Um, that doesn't always happen. Uh, some people don't like taking instructions from their brother or their sister or their mother or their father. Um, but I think family, it can be a huge benefit. And the reason it can be a huge benefit is because you're all on the same page and you tend to care more. When your family's involved, it becomes more personal, even for team members. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. We have team members right now on the team. Uh, and we have about 450 team members right now uh, that literally care more about Parker and Sons than I do or Paul or my mother or my sister. Um, it's an amazing feeling to have. It's a great place for customer service, obviously. Um, and a lot of that reason is because number one, we create a, a literal family atmosphere where everybody knows everybody and we're very friendly and there's not people here that are disliked. Um, but it's also because we encourage bringing others into the business and 
and giving that opportunity of time, freedom, and doing some cool stuff to create that family atmosphere. But I think family in the business can be an absolute blessing if you guys work well together. It could be a hundred percent a curse if it causes conflict because I don't care who you are, how big a business you are. Family comes before business, before money, in my opinion. Um, and you certainly don't want to ruin relationships because you guys can't agree on a, a payment plan or, a, you know, whether to give a person a raise or not. Well, you've given us, I think, many little tips within that family kind of uh, uh, thought process. Are there any kind of what you would call, if, if, if there were one, two, or three kind of secrets to success of, you know, of working with your father, your sister, your mother in, in, in a family dynamic? Um, yeah. So, I mean, here's what I would say, and this is about any partnership, really, um, or any and business in general, but a lot of people don't take the time to do this with family and they do in other places, right? There has to be clear parameters, right? You're in charge of this. I'm in charge of this, blah, blah, blah. We can't have overlapping, right? When everyone's in charge of everything, that means no one's in charge of anything, right? Um, but when you right. take family, it becomes more extreme. Um, so make sure that there's clear expectations and definitions what everybody's doing. And then ultimately, someone has to be in charge. Um, you have to have that person that is literally allowed to overrule other people. Um, because just like in a partnership, there can't, you can't have things come to a standstill because you can't make a decision and everyone has to be okay with that, um, which is not always easy to, easy to do as well. So that would be my big two advice. And the thing is everyone knows that with a partner or with your team members. Um, but sometimes they just don't take the thought or, you know, it's, it's family. They'll be okay. It's like, no, you have to do that. You just have to. Good, good advice, Josh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Let, let's try to look out a little bit to the future. You've obviously, you know, uh, started this business in terms of kind of you and your family from very small scale. You've grown it very dramatically. You know, most people only dream about, you know, $100 million. And quite frankly, many people may not even ever, uh, you know, really have the yearning to get there. But you know, one of the nice things I find with, you know, either interviewing or working with large businesses is you, you, you tend to be looking out to the future a little bit differently than others. So as we look out to the future, you know, what's the future of HVAC? What's the future of this service business in your mind? Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly we look at the future differently than most do. We actually think much shorter than most people. Uh, I will tell you, you know, a lot of companies will tell you like, I, I want to be a hundred million in 10 years. We never had that thought process. Um, we were at six and a half million. We just really wanted to get to seven. Uh, you know what I mean, like we're all about short goals. However, there are some big things coming up, not just for HVAC, but really home services in general. And that could be roofing, yep. windows, electricians, kind of across the board, right? Remodelers for sure. Um, and those changes are mainly, entire marketplace changes. So I don't really fear competition anymore. As weird as that sounds, we are large enough and we're the largest here in Phoenix. We might be one of the largest, if not the largest for a single city in the United States for HVAC and plumbing, uh, for residential anyway. Um, there's certainly some new construction companies that are really large. Um, but I don't fear competition 
but I fear drastic changes in the marketplace that are happening right now. So companies like Amazon, uh, Uber, uh, Google, they're starting to move into our business. Um, uh, companies like Lowe's, Home Depot, Costco, these are companies that have been in our business for a while, but starting to finally understand the business. It's only a matter of time before one of these large companies actually figures the system out. And here's, here's the benefit and the disadvantage, right? If you're set up properly, this is gonna be a huge boost to your business because Google's not gonna work with 100 people. When Google starts putting their name on stuff, they're not gonna work with 100 people because they don't wanna work with someone who's gonna give them a bad name. Um, Google is certainly that way, already moving to that. Amazon's moving that way. Uber's doing a test in San Francisco right now. Home Depot, Lowe's, all those stores are doing that right now. But it's become more and more extreme like that. Um, so I actually think if you build yourself right, there's actually more margin to have on it. You have to run your business slightly differently. But these are market changes that are coming to everyone, right? It's going to squeeze out the middlemen. It's happening right now already. So there's going to be a few large businesses and a whole bunch of small businesses. Now, that does not mean that anyone can't get and play with this. I would just say it's really important that you're ahead of the curve. If right. you're not with Google services right now, even though it's not a huge portion of your business and can't be right now because they just don't have that many calls right now, you better believe Google's going to figure it out. Or there's companies like, uh, like Pulse. Have you heard of Pulse before? I have not. Pulse is literally Uber for home services. Literally. So you have an app. If you're a technician um, and, hey, I want a painter in my area, I pull all, all the painters in the area, get a ping and say, who here, here's the five closest painters, who wants this job? Um, that's a gigantic change in the industry that's going to wipe out so much of our traditional forms of marketing, our traditional forms of gathering customers, right? Um, all this stuff adds up. It's really cool stuff. This is an exciting time to be in the home service business because we all are just, we are slow adapters by design um, and things are really starting to change and kick in. And I think in the next five, 10 years, this whole industry is going to look so differently. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing and it could be a really, really good thing if you're prepared for it. Well, I think your insights are, in my opinion, right on target. And, you know, to your point about, you know, you kind of really want to focus on being in the wave. You don't mm -hmm. want to necessarily be so far ahead of it that all of a sudden it comes down and crashes you at the other extreme. You certainly don't want to fall behind. So with this, all this subject and these variables becoming, quite frankly, I think a little bit overwhelming for, you know, most small, medium businesses, if, if there were one or two kind of little keys that you would encourage people to focus on as they're looking to the future, what would it be? I mean, so it could seem overwhelming because you've never done it and it's different and it's unique, but the truth is just sign up for it. Figure it out. It's nothing as complicated at this point because they're all still trying to figure it out and they're trying to get as much help and as feedback as they can. So if you could pass a background check, you could work with a lot of those companies um, and your team could pass a background check. Um, so it's not that complicated right at this point. Everyone so maybe has, put your toe in the water and sign yeah, up and yeah, just kind of see how it plays out, but also, you know, look at it as a learning curve and not corrupt what you do, but just put your toe in the water. Would that yeah. be good advice? 
Absolutely. Here's the beauty of a lot about, uh, like if you're doing Google services or Amazon services, you pay per booked call. You only pay them when you make money. So it's a very low risk situation. Um, it's not like you're paying, you know, a PPC campaign where you pay for every click. A click means nothing. Um, a click can turn into a call, which is what you want, right? But um, with those services, a lot, most of them you're paying just for the actual phone calls, which is, which is gold. You know what I mean? It, it takes a lot of the risk away. It's simple. It's easy. It's quick. Um, just start signing up for stuff, getting a feel for it, get your team members comfortable with it. Um, you do have to approach them differently because they're not actively looking for you. So you're not, you have to build trust a little bit more. You have to, but you'll figure it out once you get in there. It's not rocket science. You just need to start doing right. It's the execution that matters. Just, just start implementing, just go. Well, many, many years ago, I heard, uh, you know, the CEO of, of, uh, Nike say, you know, we're not in the shoe business. We're in the sales and marketing business. And I think to, take an HVAC plumbing business, you know, to the degree certainly that, you know, Josh Kelly and his family has, it, it, it takes that kind of paradigm shift or shift in, in your thinking. So Josh, as, as we close out here in this particular conversation, you, you are kind of moving on to, you know, expanding your mm-hmm. bandwidth and your interest. I, I, just take a minute and just, you know, share, uh, you know, kind of, kind of what the next steps are for Josh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this sounds weird to say, but there was a time not that long ago where I was walking through our own offices and one of our team members stopped me and said, can I help you, sir? She didn't know I worked there. (laughs) So, um, we got big enough for me where I was like, you know what? Uh, I want to try something new. Um, so I've over the last year, really, I've started focusing more on a separate business I have, a company called Review Kangaroo. Um, it's really built for home service companies. And essentially what we do is we have the industry's leading system to help them get reviews, uh, reputation management, uh, referrals, cross-selling opportunities, all fully automated. That's what I'm focusing on now. It's a really cool process because uh, I'm, I'm the type of person I've always gotten to kick more out of getting team members, get the house that they want or take that vacation they always wanted that they couldn't do with someone else, right? Um, that was my why, right? Um, I've really been able to amplify that why because not only am I helping my own team members, but now I'm helping thousands of companies and team members across the United States, not just get more reviews, but literally drive revenue. I mean, our average client grows 15% revenue the first six months of the program. It's a cool place to be. It's really exciting. I know we don't have time to go over everything, but if anyone wants to, uh, to find out details about how the system works or really just ask me questions. I would have, I would uh, suggest they just give me a ring or shoot me an email. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think tied into that, I, I was at a conference uh, out in California with, with uh, some of the home services folks with, with Google and they were sharing some interesting kind of survey results. And that was that today homeowners are putting more, value in an online review than they are a personal referral, which, you know, when, when I heard that insight and it kind of almost knocked me off my seat And this is an industry, this is a business that has been very, very dependent on word of mouth, personal referrals, and that's been king for everybody. But the reality is that's changing very quickly. So I want to thank Josh for uh, joining us today. And uh, again, I encourage you 
to reach back if you have a particular question or issue. You're w- certainly welcome to call Josh, uh, Josh Kelly. What, what, how can someone reach you via telephone, Josh? Why don't you just call into the office here? Either myself or one of my team members will answer. The number is 602-456-8832. Or you guys could always just email me. Um, I, I generally like to give my personal email. It's just josh at reviewkangaroo.com. And Review Kangaroo, just so everybody knows, is spelled R-E-V-U, kangaroo. Um, so josh at reviewkangaroo.com. Um, I'm pretty responsive by email. Um, and I'm very responsive by phone. So give us a call or or touch base with us. Sounds great. Thank you, Josh. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I think, again, there's been some nuggets and I encourage you to pass this particular uh, podcast episode on to other uh, friends and certainly business associates if you think that they can, they can glean some benefits. And one of the keys to listening to this or other podcasts is to subscribe. And I think if you subscribe, you'll automatically get them every two weeks. You don't have to think about them. And then you can pick and choose kind of the episodes that really make sense to you. So thank you, everyone. And I look forward to joining you soon. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.